Hello and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our goal is to help people all around the world experience the love and power of Jesus and live passionately devoted to Him. We pray that the podcast is just that for you. Thank you for joining us on this journey and may burning witnesses arise for Him all around the world. If you have your Bible, which I hope you do, uh, I hope you have a deep love for the Word of God and a place in your own heart to allow the leadership of Jesus through his teachings that we find in the Word of God. A place in your own heart and life for this to be what ultimately governs our existence as the people of God. Uh, it is hugely important. Uh, I, I, there's not even a way to underestimate the value or the necessity for in this hour of history, and I say this hour of history, meaning the moment in time that you and I are privileged to participate in. Um, as we've considered before, and what I mean by before is now over the years that I've been privileged to continue coming and joining in with you from time to time. Uh, we really love your pastors. Uh, we feel that our lives have been knit together. Um, it has been years and years now of actually walking together, not just in public meetings and spaces, but behind the scenes, families together, uh, meals, events, activities, just, just a variety of things together. Uh, and we really feel like God has put us together. And so it's a joy to continue to come and to be trusted as a voice for whatever small and seemingly insignificant way from time to time to be able to come and to speak into and to make a deposit into the things that God is doing here. Um, and so as I say, as we've considered previously, what I mean by that is there has been a time before us where our consideration was God's strategic assignment to you and me in this moment of history. Uh, we, we are not here by happens chance. We are not just the byproduct of random circumstances that might have brought us into life or existence as we know it. But we are here by divine design. God has said yes to you. It is an epic choosing or selection that has brought you into God giving your life a yes and planting you along the timeline of history in this hour, 2022, when the world circumstance and all of the things that seem to be swirling round about in God's thought, in his mind, the dream of God would say, yes, I absolutely need you here. And, and we would consider that to be in more Bible language, you are called for such a time as this. And in that, it is of great necessity that we return to the truth of the scriptures. Now hear me, I say the truth of the scriptures because what I'm not saying is that we apply a filter in which we approach the scriptures. We want to let the Bible say what the Bible is saying and then let the Bible change the way that we are thinking and behaving. Right? We want to come into agreement or into alignment with the fullness of what it is that the scriptures are teaching. When Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, right, in Matthew. He says, all of you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, you're overburdened, you're trying to do it your own way, you're trying to figure things out for yourself, all these religious hoops and hoopla, all of this crazy stuff, striving, efforts, works, just come to me. But it's not just come to me, it's come to me and I will give you rest, yes, 
But then out of that rest, he then says, and take my yoke upon you. These are days where we have to come under the yoke of Jesus. These are days where by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to come under the yoke of Jesus. Right? In ancient days, yoke would have been a teaching. We need to come under the teaching of Jesus to find his leadership in the scriptures so that as the people of God, we can actually embody the love and leadership of Jesus through his yoke or his teachings to be a living demonstration of God's desires and power as we fill the cities and nations of the earth. Where we would be a people that embody the teachings of the scripture and therefore are conformed to the image of Jesus. Um, because that's the whole idea. We don't get to determine by way of a free-for-all of our own desires what being a disciple actually means. Jesus has already laid it out. Come to me. I'll give you rest from all your striving. I'll give you rest from all your busyness, all your preoccupation with works in order to get my attention. Just come to me. I'll give you rest for your weary souls. I'll put my yoke on you. You'll come under my teaching. Then as you live your life with my love and leadership governing over who you are, then by the power of the spirit, I will conform you to my image. And I could more simply say it this way. You will never look like the one who is the word without a place of obedience to the word. You have to obey the word to look like the one who is the word. For John opens his gospel this way. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. That word came and wrapped himself in flesh. The embodiment of that word came and tabernacled amongst us. We have to have a love for the word if we want to be further developed and conformed into the image of the one who is the son. The second person of the Trinity is the word or the embodiment of the word. So we understand Jesus, the son, the son of God, the word made flesh. So we want to have a place in our lives to love the Bible, right? That Psalm 47, we want to be that company who loves what he loves and hates what he hates. Well, we can't listen to culture for that, but we, we can't go to news media, social media, uh, we have to become students of the scriptures in order to discover the personality of God as he has desired to reveal himself through the word of God. We come to the word to know the one who is the word. We more familiarize our hearts and our lives with the character of God so that we can be more intimately acquainted with the actual person. And in knowing the person deeply, intimately, walking in a real fellowship with God himself, we can say, I know you. And because I know you, I now know what's like you. And I want to be one that loves what you love. Well, I have to know what you love. And I want to be one that hates what you hate. Well, I have to know the things that move your heart, yes, in a positive way, because you're a person. But if you can be moved positively, you can also be moved negatively. Right? Because he has a personality. And in that consideration, I don't just open and say, man, we should have a love for the Bible as if I'm some sort of cheerleader, preacher, like, you know, rah, rah. No, th this is not nonsense. The word of God is literally a life and death issue. 
and conforming our lives to the leadership of Jesus is one of the ways that we abide in his love, experience real freedom, and continue to be preserved from the corruption of the powers and the hostility of the nations. In John chapter 8, Jesus would have said it that way. We're all familiar with John 8, 36. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. But if you back that up a couple of verses where he actually begins that, that line of thought, it starts around John 8, 31, 32, where he says, if you abide in my commandments, or if you choose to set your life up under my leadership, meaning to consistently live my teachings. These are the commandments, the teachings of Jesus. If you consistently live my teaching." then I will know that you actually belong to me. So here we find the description for discipleship, those that actually belong to Jesus. It's more than just a declaration of affection. It's more than that. Although it may include that, but that in and of itself is not enough. And it's not one of the evaluators that Jesus used. Because in other episodes, out in public forums, teaching and preaching, he says, oh yeah, I know those guys. With their lips, they praise me, but their hearts are very far from me. So it's not just some sort of private or public declaration of affection. In John 8, he actually begins with insight to reveal what it is that he's looking for. And part of what he's looking for is obedience. And not just obedience to our own dreams, but obedience to his teachings. And he says, if you abide in my teachings or my commandments, then I'll know that you're actually mine. I'll know that you're my disciples. And when you live your life consistently, living under my yoke, by my teachings, letting my love and leadership govern your lives as my disciples, then you will experience or know the truth. And that truth will lead you into freedom. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the experience of that truth and leading you to freedom, it will preserve you from the corruption that is always desiring to become a snare to you. Where you become like the rest of the nations. Where you become like the rest of the hostile peoples seeking to rule over their own lives and live their life in self-indulgent ways. Which again, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would say that this is the consideration of those whose lives are bound by rulers and powers. But it has always been God's desire to rescue a people and redeem them from brokenness and darkness and then to display his power in and among them to make them a demonstration to the rest of the world system of what he is able to do. This has always been God's dream. And we find that all the way back in the very beginning when God instituted a man and a woman to live in intimacy and to share his authority as they took dominion of the earth and multiplied through procreation. To produce other image bearers that God could literally scatter across the globe to extend the boundaries of what was known as Eden which back in the very beginning was the place of God's intimate love and rule upon the earth. 
It was the place where he walked in the cool of the day with a man and with a covenant woman as his wife. It was the place where God revealed himself with power and shared his desires with sons and daughters. It was a place where through intimacy and authority, God established a kingdom of priests for himself. And out of walking intimately with the Lord, they would know him in a deep way. And they would know what was on his heart. They would share in his counsel and align their lives to his purpose. And out of that, that was the command to extend the boundaries of Eden until the whole earth became like what the experience was for that man and woman in an intimate fellowship and authoritative place of rule alongside of God. That was the plan. And then out of Eden, we find that the desire has never actually changed. And this morning, what I would like to consider is that I believe the Holy Spirit in our midst this morning wants to elevate our view of who God is and what he is able to do in the lives of those that actually yield their heart to him. It's time for a higher vision of God. It's time for a higher vision of God's power. It's time for a higher vision of how God's love can absolutely transform even the lowest, darkest, most broken places that we might now consider in our lives or in the lives of those that we might be connected to in a variety of ways. God's desire in the beginning to have a people that were a kingdom of priests has actually never changed. To have a people that he could possess for himself. To have a people that he could purchase with blood. And make them what they could never actually be with their own intellect, with their own resources, what they could never financially purchase, the things that their own means or methods or mechanisms would ever be able to form in their own lives. God has always longed to have a people that he would be glorified in the midst of. An unveiling of his power to transform people. To make them a demonstration of what it is that he ultimately desires. This has always been the plan. It's always been the plan. And it's important that we see that what we find at the beginning is equally what we realize at the very end. In the very beginning, God wants a people that he can make a kingdom of priests. A people that he can transform. A people That will be his representatives and will be a demonstration of his love and power. Well, in the very end, when you come to the book of Revelation, because if we begin with Genesis, we understand the scriptures end with Revelation. If you go to Revelation, you find that John on the Isle of Patmos has this crazy God encounter. That he's there exiled, paying a price For his devotion to Jesus. John is now 70, 80 years of faithfulness to the Lord. And he will not renounce. He will not recant. He will not turn back. He will not shy away. They don't know what to do with him. Many believe that they tried to boil him alive in oil. And he would not die. And so they exiled him to an island, Patmos, 
because they could not figure out any other thing to actually do with him. Well, it's out there on this aisle or on this island, seemingly all alone, that the man Jesus comes to him in wild encounter. And in Revelation 1, we find John recounting these words in verses 4 and 5 and 6. In verse 5, he says that Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. And he is the one who loved us and purchased us or redeemed us with blood and has actually set us free or saved us from our sins. And next verse, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to our God. So the plan in the very beginning, the dream in the very beginning, we find fulfilled at the very end. This should be incredibly encouraging to any of our hearts at times that grow faint or that find ourselves in the weakness and in the frailty of our own humanity, wondering, is God ever going to be able to do the things that he has spoken to me? Is he ever going to be able to change or transform some of these issues that I still realize that at times are very alive in my life? Is God's power ever going to have its ultimate or fullest measure of way and purpose in my own life to do the things that I find in the scriptures and the reality of what it is that I'm contending for. Beloved, I would say the answer is yes. That God is powerful enough, that he is loving enough, that he is willing enough in order to transform a human creation and to conform them to the image of his son that he loves. And this is what John is realizing in the fullest and most glorious way at the end or with a vision of the end in Revelation. He has done it. He has done it. He has accomplished the work. The dream has been fulfilled. All of what was necessary in order to make a way to have what it is that God has always wanted, John is declaring he has done it. He has absolutely made us to be a kingdom and a kingdom of priests to our God. A people transformed, redeemed from the darkness and the brokenness of the nations, wildly conformed by a divine life, that being the power and the jealous work of the Holy Spirit in the life of those that believe, conforming us to the image of the man Jesus. God has done it. Is what John says. He has made us to be a kingdom. And that kingdom is actually priests. To our God. Well this is what Peter says. In 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. He reminds us. For once you were not a people. Once you were just like the rest of the nations. Once you were just like every other people. That find themselves upon the face of the earth. You had the same appetite. 
You shared the same dreams. You had the same corruption alive on the inside of you. You longed to rule over your own life. You despised the idea of God's absolute truths as the reality to govern over our lives. You wanted nothing to do with his love, his leadership. At one point, you were just like all the other people on the face of the earth, caught up in the sway of the wicked one, conformed to the pattern of the world, living in the current of rulers and powers and being discipled by all of their agenda. He says, once you were just like every other person on the earth, but not anymore. He says, but now, similar to those words, but God, but now you are a people. You're a people that have been beautifully redeemed. You're a people that have been saved. God has gone forth on your behalf. God has made a way to change the category of your life. God has done a marvelous work out of his own desire in order to rescue you from the darkness that is saturating the world system. Like Colossians 1 would communicate with Paul writing to believers there. He says those that have been translated out of the dominion of darkness and translated into the kingdom of glorious light for the son that he loves. It is an idea of possession. It is an idea of belonging. It is an idea where he uses even in those terms in Colossians 1, the dominion or the domain of the wicked one, which is darkness. And Peter says, once you belonged in that category, but not anymore. He says, now you are a people. And now you are not just another people group. You're not just by way of some new ethnicity. You're not just by way of some new diversity to the world scenario or the global landscape. But now you are a people that could only become the product because of the blood that was shed on your behalf. Now you are a people that God has actually purchased and God has actually possessed. And therefore, because of that power and reality, you are now the people of God. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. A people with God's desire to demonstrate his glory and his loving kindness of what he's able to do through the lives of those that actually yield to him. Because it's always been the goal. We find that even in Revelation 5 as they're singing songs. Right? Revelation 5, 8, we find... Creatures and elders with bowls of incense and harps. In verse 9, we find them singing songs, giving glory and ascribing worth to the lamb that was slain. This beautiful man that sits on the throne. They're singing songs and they say, because you have done it. You have purchased a people for God. And you did it with your own blood. This is why they're giving him glory. You have purchased a people. You did it with your own blood. 
We thought it was going to be impossible. You actually accomplished the work. You have made a way to bring a creation with you from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. You have transformed them. You have conformed them. And now you are worthy to be praised forever and ever and ever. And then in verse 10, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God. You've actually done it. Well, I would like to look at, for the next few moments, another episode in the scriptures that reveals the consistency of this desire. And that's going to be in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, you find that God has delivered a people from the Egyptian captivity. You find that with great power, signs, wonders, miracles. Come on, we need signs, wonders, and miracles. With signs, wonders, and miracles, God redeems those that he loves from a hostile prison that they found themselves in for almost four entire centuries. 400 years of bondage. And now all of a sudden we come to the conclusion where let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. 400 years of living in slavery. 400 years of living in bondage, 400 years of dreaming of freedom, but many dying off, never having actually tasted for themselves the fullness of what they knew had been prophesied over them. And then in a unique moment, in a unique time and season, we find that God raises up a man who thought of himself to be a failure, according to the call of God, out in the middle of nowhere. A man who in earlier decades had tried to fulfill the call of God by his own strength and with his own resources. I mean, Moses kills a guy and buries him and tries to pretend like nothing happened. Like, this is a big deal. Like, this is not some small, like, oh, bro, it's cool. Like, you just got mad because traffic was bad. Like, oh, bro, like, it's all right. We know you're not that guy. Like, he kills somebody. And buries him and hides him. And tries to keep on with life as if nothing happened. And then he flees the scene. And is out in the middle of nowhere. For 40 years. But God waits for him. Because he chose him. And God is going to be glorified in the lives of those that he chooses. And he raises Moses up. And he sends him to the most powerful man. Seemingly so who has a throne that is on the earth. And he says, you go and tell that man, I am that I am. That's what you need to know. And Moses, through a wild series of events, leads them out, which seems to climax with the Passover night, where the lives of the firstborn would be given for the freedom of others, where blood would be shed But those who had blood upon the doorpost would be saved. Where the judgments of God against the gods of Egypt would be executed. And the one who is the most high would once again unveil himself as the ruler of all the nations. And God sends them out with power. He sends them out with miracles. He sends them out as a testimony of his saving grace and power. 
And now they find themselves out in the wilderness. And in Exodus 19, God is desiring to actually bring them to what was the purpose of everything that he was doing. And these are the details that God begins to reveal to them in Exodus 19. When you come through verses 1 through 6. The cliff notes of it is this. God tells them, I didn't just do it for you. He tells them, I've had a plan the whole time. He tells them, it wasn't just so that you could experience freedom. It wasn't just so that you could experience deliverance. It wasn't just so that you could come out of captivity, out of the prison cell, so that you could no more be living under the tyranny of wicked rulers and injustice and slavery in a variety of sorts. It wasn't only so that you could experience these things and now just live your own way and do your own thing. No, 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 no. This was not the plan. But God tells them, there's something that I've wanted all along. And what I've done in your life fits into what it is that I want. Your individual salvation experience fits into a much bigger dream. A much bigger story. There is a desire or a purpose that God has that our lives in freedom, in deliverance, through salvation, actually now connects into the purpose that God has had. And this is what he's revealing to them as they've gathered around the mount. And God tells them, I've had a dream to have a people. I've had a dream to have a kingdom of priests. Exact same language in Exodus 19. I've had a dream to have a kingdom of priests. He says, I have longed to possess a people. Listen to that language. I have longed to actually possess a people. Our salvation is language of possession. We've been purchased. That's the song they sing. You have purchased a people for God and you did it with your own blood. Not with the corruptible things of this life, but through the incorruptible seed of God, that being the blood of his son. You have purchased a people for God. This is possession language. It's language of belonging. It's language of ownership. Which means my life is no longer my own. I've been bought and I've been bought with a price. And this is what Peter reminds them in 1 Peter 2. You are now a people because you've been bought with a price. And God is revealing to them in Exodus 19. I long to have a people for myself. A people that I could purchase, yes, through salvation, healing, and deliverance. But a people that I could possess. A people that would actually live their lives with a sense of ownership and belong to me. A people that I could be in them and in the midst of them. And that I could be glorified because of what I've done for them and what I long to do through them. A people that would be faithful witnesses, even as John describes the man Jesus. Well, we understand Jesus paid a price to have faithful 
witnesses, Acts chapter 1. For in that day, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. A people that would be faithful witnesses. They would be products of God's power. They would live as a living demonstration of God's glorious purpose to have a people that he could possess for himself. And would become a testimony to the nations of the earth of what God is able to do to rescue a people from brokenness, darkness, and the influence of rulers and powers. This is our God. He's the one who rescues from rulers and powers. Not just as Pharaoh was a representation, but even the evil, wicked, corrupt, demonic agenda right now being advanced or seemingly to saturate this world system through the influence of powers and principalities. He is the one that rescues from literal physical slavery and entrapments and confinement, but he's also the one that delivers from the internal corruption, from the influence of rulers and powers. And same as it was in Exodus 19, I long to have a people that will be separate from the other nations throughout the region. I long to have a people that would be a testimony because I could have them in the world, but they will have come out of the world. I will transform them by giving them the life and the power of my own spirit. And I will be glorified in them because they will be a light. They will be a city on a hill. They will become a people, not like the rest of the peoples, but a people that will reveal and demonstrate what my my power is able to perform when those that actually give their lives to me allow me to do what I long to do in the midst of a people. This was the goal in Exodus. I want to have a people for myself that are going to become a witness to the rest of the nations. I want to have a people for myself that I can be glorified in, yes, because of what I've done to them. But then I can actually use them as a sign and a wonder to provoke a jealousy to all of the other hostility that fills the nations of the earth that right now find themselves to be rebels because they've come under the influence of rulers. This is what we find in Psalm 82. God stands up in the congregation of rulers. How long will you celebrate wickedness throughout the nations? He is bringing judgment to rulers and powers, powers and principalities because of their corruption in leading the nations into hostility. But in Exodus 19, he says, I didn't just do it for you, but there was something that I was longing to demonstrate through your life. And I think that we should all hear that together in a fresh way. Let this statement hit your heart in a fresh way. It wasn't just for you. God didn't deliver you just for you so that now you could just do your own thing and try to figure out wherever it is that you would be pleased to have God fit into your story. He didn't just save you just for you. So that now you could do your own thing. He didn't just heal you and redeem you just for you. 
so that now you could live your own dream, fulfill all of your own desires, and with your own ambition, pursue all of the things that you've determined you want to be about and chase after. God didn't do it just so you could do your thing. He did it so that now you could be a part of his thing to where your life would now be deeply anchored in an intimate way of fellowship into his story, where you would know him in a real and powerful way for yourself. And out of that place of intimate fellowship, his ongoing work in your life by his spirit would continue to transform you and to conform you as you walk under the yoke of his son, the leadership of his son, obeying his teachings, you would become one who would look more and more and more like the word so that when we look at this and then look at you, we say, oh yeah, that makes sense because I see this in you, which means if this is God's desires, I see God's desires alive in you. And God says, I want this people. I want this people to be a sign and a wonder. And to say in simple terms, the church should be the place that the world looks to, to see what it looks like to live free from the influence of rulers and powers. Hear that. This is what God told them in Exodus 19. I didn't just save you from external, so to speak, enslavement and corruption. I saved you so that I could demonstrate in you what it looks like for a people to live free from the influence of the hostility of the nations and the world system. The influence of rulers and powers. I saved you so that you could now become a picture. You could become a sign, a wonder, a city on a hill for the rest of the nations to look to and with awe-inspired wonder to come to the conclusion that's what it looks like to live in real freedom. That's what it looks like to live free from the influence of powers. And it's no different in Exodus 19 than it is in the book of Ephesians. And we'll close up with this consideration. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes it this way. We are a people that God has purchased. He's given us the down deposit of his spirit. We now can actually know the mystery of his will. He has brought us up and included us into his story. He has paid the price to have the people that he longs to have. He has been raised from the dead. The man Jesus is not just resurrected, but he is now ascended to the right hand and enthroned above every ruler, every power, every principality, every name that is to be given in the heavens or on the earth. That's the end of Ephesians chapter 1. The man Jesus, alive from the dead, reigning above powers and principalities. Well, this matters. And it matters the way that we actually read the Bible. So that we let the Bible say what the Bible is saying. The end of Ephesians 1 is the man Jesus, alive from the dead. Read it for yourself. 
the man Jesus alive from the dead, resurrected, ascended, reigning above rulers and powers, and worthy of glory forever. Well, Ephesians chapter 2 begins with, and you too were dead, living under the influence of rulers and powers. You too lived as a prisoner of a self-indulgent life, pursuing whatever you wanted, living according to the way that you thought was best or whatever the cravings of your flesh demanded. But God did what couldn't be done in order to change the narrative for your life to where you didn't die a prisoner of your own self-satisfied hostility. But God, in his loving kindness and richness of his tender mercy, actually raised you from the dead and freed you from the influence or the government of powers. Hear this. Ephesians 1, the man Jesus alive from the dead, ascended on high, reigning and ruling above the powers. Ephesians 2, the people that he's been promised, alive from the dead, freed from the tyranny, the government of rulers and powers. Now, God knitting their lives together, making them his unique habitation, us no longer being foreigners and aliens, but now through God's grace, becoming co-members of his house, becoming the expression of one new man because of the reconciliation throughout the nations, no longer given to the lower level earthly confusing distinctions, seeking to create hostility and division. All of the divisions being reconciled and God having a people for himself that he longs to be glorified in creating a habitation. Ephesians 3 verse 10 the church now actually bearing the responsibility to bring instruction to powers through the manifold wisdom of God being demonstrated in the midst of them. And now unto the church, the manifold wisdom of God being put on display, bringing instruction or prophesying to powers. The manifold wisdom on display in the church and the church bearing the responsibility to prophesy to powers well, if you put those statements in the context of what we've been considering this morning, then what we find is the church is supposed to be the place where a people come out from under the influence of rulers and powers, where a people through the rescue work of redemption and a born again experience actually become alive from the dead and through being alive from the dead and being freed from their trespasses and sins, through the application of that precious blood of the Lamb, and now a born-again experience to pledge my allegiance to Jesus as King. The church is to be the place that embodies that reality 
which is a sign and a wonder to the rest of the nations, but it is a prophetic declaration to rulers and powers where the church, through the way that they consistently, by pledging their allegiance to Jesus, living under the yoke of Jesus, the truth and a consistent freedom, live free from the influence of powers and yet remind powers that what God has always wanted, God is actually going to get. Every time rulers and powers look at the church, they should see a people that live free from their influence. They should see a people that don't give a crack, a crevice, a foothold to the influence of demonic agenda or strategy. They should see a people that live wildly free from all of their agenda, wildly free from being inspired by their motives or the things that they long to see, wildly free by their rule and entering once again to captivity. This is the way the church prophesies to powers. What God has done, he has done it to ultimately fulfill his purpose and that purpose is to possess a people that will no longer be ruled by you. And now we live individually as products of God's power. Man, I tell you, I know what that's like in my own life and story. A decade or more of being a drug addict, being a drug dealer, living a gang-style life, in and out of jail 15 times in a 10-year window, suicidal, dark, violent, broken. And I mean, I tell you, even in older photos during those days, my eyes were black. I mean, darkness and being fully given over to it, corruption, of a self-satisfied life, living my own way, doing my own thing, realizing that I wanted nothing to do with God and as a matter of fact, didn't even believe that he existed. Didn't know him for myself, didn't grow up in an environment that was necessarily trying to teach me the ways of the Lord. I remember one, maybe two Ash Wednesday services my entire 21 first years of living. 21 years. Never read the Bible for myself. One, maybe two Ash Wednesday services. No knowledge of God in my house. Drug addiction, darkness, brokenness, violence, incarceration, on and on and on it went. And then one day, I found myself at an altar praying a prayer that I honestly didn't even believe in. For for any who might not know my story, and you don't necessarily, you have no reason to, I went to church Sunday night, October 6, 2002. It was Pastor Appreciation Day. I was there with two friends, a backpack full of drugs, waiting outside the front doors of the church, which at that time was eight or 900 people waiting to fight one of the pastor's sons. I'm there to fight the pastor's son on Pastor Appreciation Day. Oh no, you can't make this up. Backpack full of drugs. This would have been October 2002, 2001. I went to jail five times. In December, after just having been there a few weeks prior, 
the judge told me, if I ever see you again, it's a year and a day. Because those of you who are familiar with that type of life, in order to go upstate, you have to go a year and a day. You can do 365 in county, but in order for them to take you a little bit further up the road, it's got to be a year and a day. And the judge told me, if I ever see you again, I don't care what it's for. It's a year and a day minimum. So from that moment in November, I had warrants out for my arrest. I was on the run, and I decided that I was tired of running. So I called the bail bondsman. I decided that I was going to turn myself in. I went to jail understanding that it was a long-term sentence. I said all of my goodbyes. I did everything that I wanted to do before I actually turned myself in because my understanding was, is this was now going to be something that I was not going to be able to be rescued from. And I stood in the court day, or I stood in the courtroom that day, standing before the judge, waiting for the sentence to come down because I knew it. When my turn came up, I stood there at the podium and she said, did I not tell you just a few short weeks ago that if I ever saw you again, what the scenario was going to be? And I said, you did. And she said, a year and a day minimum. And as she rose the gavel in order to put it down and to sentence me, from across the room, a public defender stood up. And he said, wait, 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 wait. I'll take his case. And he said, what about X amount of time probation? What about X amount of time um, community service? What about X amount of dollars restitution? What about this many hours of drug and alcohol classes and anger management, this and, and yada, 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 and on and on the list went. And she looked at him and she looked at me and she looked at him and she looked at me and she said, I have no idea why this is happening for you but motion granted. And it was shortly thereafter that I found myself standing in that church altar. Now again, granted, I was there, probably not for the best reasons. High out of my mind and drunk in a church service with a backpack full of drugs, two friends, because at the time I was a small business owner and I was running a little street pharmacy. Always entrepreneurial in a variety of ways. But I stood there at the altar because I was honestly just trying to get through the church service to fight this kid in the parking lot and get back to the other side of town because Sunday night was a busy night for us. And I stood what would have been somewhere around this area in the church that I was in. And I prayed a prayer that I don't know if I could tell you I honestly believed in. But what I did know is that for months, prior to that moment that night at that altar I had walked the streets at night when all of the crowds were gone the partying was done the extracurricular activities had been fulfilled I would walk the streets at night and at times with tears running down my face I would say things like I don't know if you or who or what is even out there. But what I do know is that I don't have the power to actually be anything different than what I am. I want to be different. I just don't know how. This is all I know how to be. This is all I know how to do. And if you're not actually out there, and if you don't really exist then I'm going to die 
being what I am. But if you are real, I'll give you my life if you rescue me from the life that I only know how to do. And then I found myself at that altar praying a prayer. And what I found is that over the course of that prayer, I broke into what was, and the only way I know how to describe it, as a a visionary encounter or experience where it was as real as anything I've ever been a part of. And in the distance, I saw a man. And immediately, though he was afar off, I knew that he was Jesus. I knew he was the Son of God. I knew that he had paid the price for the sins of the world. But better than that, he had paid the price for my sins. And he turned and he looked my way. And though he was in the distance, his face lit up. And there was this this glow, this radiance that came off him. This this joy-filled excitement. Like when you see a loved one that you haven't seen in a long time. And he didn't remain distant, but he began running in my direction. And he ran over to where I was. And he grabbed me. And he embraced me. And he held me close and squeezed me tight. And he began speaking. What I later found out was all in the Bible. But he began speaking the word over my life. I'd never read the Bible for myself. I wasn't supposed to know that he's the word. But he began speaking what I later realized was just all Bible over my life. And I lost it. Like, I mean, I'm not talking like, <laughs> this is super funny. I'm not talking like, like cute church crying. Like, like, oh, that's my song. Like, like, oh, no, no, no. I'm talking like ugly, like years of brokenness years of bondage, years of slavery, years of realizing my own deficiencies and depravity, years of knowing that I wanted nothing to do with him, yet in his own goodness and out of his own grace and mercy and kindness, he made the decision to come running after me and to rescue me from the deepest, darkest hole of existence I had ever known in my whole life. And when no one should have been willing to take my side and plead my case, he shed his blood for me. He paved a way for me and he purchased my life for God and he did it with his own blood. I was sick in my body. At 17, I sat in a doctor's office and they told me that because of the way I'd been living my life, that now, which I knew because I had woken up in an outbreak, that I knew, but that the doctor confirmed that I had herpes. Let me just tell you, bad day, okay, bad day. Um, Now you would think that this would be the moment where I would wake up like, hey, listen, bro, not cool. Things are getting serious. Like this whole deal of like you doing your own thing doesn't seem to be working out for you. Didn't happen. It further created an aggressive down spiral of hatred and darkness, suicide, 
I mean, just extreme, extreme darkness. Well, interestingly enough, the day that I got born again, God set me free from almost everything. But I was still sick in my body, delivered from alcoholism, delivered from drug addiction, delivered from perversion, delivered from uh, just rage and violence, delivered from just a whole slew of issues. But I was still sick. And I got saved in October. I got born or I got born again in October in January. Now, now let me just say this. I hadn't even made it far enough in my Bible to know that you could be healed. I hadn't yet read a verse about healing. And I was sitting in a meeting and I felt the voice of the Lord speak to my heart and say, I want to heal you this morning if you would let me. And I mean, that's cool. Like, I, I mean, it's my experience. You can't say I'm lying. <laughs> and as I sat there, man, my heart began to beat. I thought I was going to die. Like literally my heart beat so fast. I thought I was going to die. And it was like, if I'll let you, But I knew all of what I had to conquer in my own life, in my own heart, to make what seemed like the thousand-mile journey down to the altar to actually let people pray for me. Because it it was that type of invitation. I want to touch you this morning. I want to heal you. I have power to free you from this. I don't care what science says. It doesn't matter to me what doctors say. I know that you're taking medication for the rest of your life and that they've put you in a hopeless conversation where this is just going to be the way that it is forever and ever and ever. If you're ever intimate with a spouse, 100% chance that the transference of the disease, if you ever have kids, all of them are going to have the disease. This is now just something that's marked your life. Get used to it. This is how you identify. There's no way to be free. But that morning, the voice of the Lord said something different to me. He wasn't saying what doctors were saying. He wasn't saying what science and medication was saying. He said, I want to heal you and free you. And I came down to the altar and shook so hard out of my own embarrassment and shame, again, that I thought I was going to die. And when they laid their hand on me, it felt like someone dumped a hot bucket of water over my head. And I literally felt hot liquid run down over my body. And when I got up off of the floor, it was like an hour later, the lights were off, everyone except two people in the church were gone. It was my ride because I had a five-year suspension on my driver's license. The clerk of the circuit court, just because now I was saved, wasn't willing to just undo everything that had happened to me. Had a five-year suspension on my driver's license, so people had to drive me around. But I went home to take my medication, and as I reached into the drawer where I hid my pills, that same voice spoke to me and said, Mike, you don't need those anymore. Now, that might sound cool, but upon further results, which happened a significant amount of time later, because I was so embarrassed, I I couldn't even share the testimony with anybody because I didn't want them to know anything about my history. And a year and a half later, when I finally shared what God had done in my life, doctors don't understand why now at this point, my blood report reveals that what they told me would be with me for the rest of my life is no longer there. They don't have enough insight or understanding to know why when they tell someone that herpes is a lifelong case, 
that the blood of Jesus actually changed my story. The blood of Jesus actually gave me an answer that they haven't found yet. And I'm not sharing my story or even the things that we discussed so that you can think to yourself, oh, well, how cool is that guy? I want us to live with a more grand vision of who God is and what God is able to do. 400 years of slavery, and God said, your view of me is too small. I'm going to intervene in your story, and I'm going to do it in such an extravagant, demonstrative, extraordinary way that when I free you from all of the hundreds of years of tyranny and captivity, and I actually bring you out into the wilderness so that you can be the people that I've always wanted to have for myself, your view of me is going to be big. Your idea of what I can do is going to be great. Your thoughts about living your life life with my love and my power are going to be limitless because this is the way that God longs to reveal himself in the midst of his people. And when we say we are the people of God, we are a people that are objects or a demonstration of God's power. And in no way should we be off limits to God's power in our own hearts or in the midst of us uniquely when we are together. May God have his way in your life and together in the life of this church as he longs to reveal himself in an extraordinary measure. And that means all of God and all of what he wants. We want signs, wonders, miracles. We want deliverance. We want healing. We want extraordinary encounters. We want the power of God to shake men and women's lives from the domain of darkness and to redeem them and free them, transform them, and actually align them with God's heart and purpose. And we want it all. Because God wants to establish a testimony for himself. To have a people who become a sign and a wonder. And that's not just in the way that we might be comfortable with him doing that. It's time for us to get uncomfortable with what God is comfortable with. It's time to get uncomfortable and to enter into what God is comfortable with. Well, Mike, I don't believe healing is for day, but for today. I don't care. Because you're not the ultimate authority. I've talked to all kinds of people who tell me healing's not for today. You take these blood reports and you wrestle with that for yourself. Well, Mike, I don't believe that God heals people. I'm sorry. Man, I'm sorry. Because there might be a lot of people that God wants to use you to touch that you just don't believe that he can. Man, but I believe that he heals. I believe that he delivers. I believe that he actually sets free and restores. I believe that he transforms. I believe that he actually sets people free from depression and suicide and self-hatred. I believe that he actually is on a rescue mission throughout the nations of the earth to possess a people that he purchased with his own blood. And it's time to get uncomfortable with the things that God is comfortable with and to enter into a much more grand vision of who God is and what he's able to do. I'm going to ask you if you would stand up this morning so that we could take a moment 
and pray. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit right now over the next few moments to stir up a jealousy in your heart. To see the unveiling of this great God in your own life and then even as God did it for the children of Israel even as he did it as a demonstration to Egypt I'm going to show you how great I am I'm going to show you that I'm not just a rival of the gods of Egypt I'm going to show you that this is not some great contest that they are no match for me And when I choose to, I unveil myself with extraordinary might. I am the most high, and there is none like me. And so, Lord, in our hearts right now, Would you, by your own spirit, would you touch us, Lord? Would you touch us in a way that would lift our eyes? Even as David writes, you are the lifter of my head, O Lord. And then he writes yet again, I look up toward the hills for that's where my help comes from would you lift our head and lift our eyes this morning and would you elevate our view of who you are there is no thing too hard for the Lord and no thing shall be impossible to them that believe Thank you, Lord, for the word and the work of what you are doing in the midst of these people together that you have purchased with your own blood. Thank you, Lord, for a church here in this city that will live as a demonstration of what it looks like to be a testimony of what it looks like to live free from the inspiration and the tyranny of rulers and powers. Thank you, Lord, for a people that are not just Christian by way of some religious distinction or just a declaration of affection alone, but there are people that are actually alive from the dead. There are people that are actually born again. They're transformed by the work of your spirit. You are conforming them to your own image and you are freeing them and have freed them from the tyranny, the hostility, the wicked agenda of rulers and powers. Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you, King Jesus. Have this people for yourself in this city. Have your people 
Have the people you paid for. Have those that you've longed to possess. Have those that you deserve that would live with possession. Yeah, before we close, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, if, if you're here this morning, uh, before we, we, we end our time together, and you are, are longing for a demonstration in your own heart, maybe your own life, maybe in your physical body, um, to, to be freed or to be rescued, to be healed in some way, again, whether that be in your physical body, uh, whether that be through some some type of ongoing torment, uh, emotionally, maybe mentally, whether that be through, through some means or some, some method uh, that the enemy has uh, sought to keep you bound. Um, if you this morning are looking for a demonstration of God's power and you're longing for the Lord to touch you in a way, Again, whether that's a healing in your body, whether that's some kind of uh, addiction, whether that, again, whatever that means. I'm going to let the Lord lead you and and kind of clear whatever that might be. And I just want to take a moment. And we can't talk about the power of God and then not actually create space for God to be himself and to do what he's comfortable doing. So if you're longing for the Lord to touch you in a way this morning, uh, I'm just going to ask you, would you just raise your hand right there where you are? Uh, My wife is whole and perfect. I've got five kids that are all whole and beautiful. Um, The Lord has set my life free from this disease amongst a host of other things. Um, but, but let's just do that. I'm sorry. Right, one more time. Just, just raise your hand for me. Man, if, if you know the Lord is speaking to you about something this morning, whether that be a healing, whether that be some sort of uh, other thing, okay? All right, th- this is what we're going to do. If you're around, because there's nothing special about me, if you're around someone that has their hand up right now, uh, in whatever way you can, don't work too hard, but in whatever way you can, just put your hand on them. And we are going to pray together. And I say together because, again, I'm, I'm not leading a pep rally. We're going to pray together, right? And if you don't know what to say, amazing. Just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Be set free in Jesus' name. Lord, right now, release your power. Release your power through the lives of those that love you. Release your power right now into every body, into every mind. Release your power into every heart. Lord, those that love you, those that are looking to you, Lord, right now, even in this moment, release your power, power to heal, power to deliver, power to set free. Come on, just pray with me for the next couple of moments. Thank you again for listening today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website at www.burningones.org or download our app.